Please pray with me. Lord God, we pray that you might fall powerfully upon us. Reveal yourself to us today, Lord God. May your word be made clear before our eyes that we might see and believe and trust in you. And we pray that you might place your words in my mouth, that our hearts might be transformed. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. It's so good to see you all today. All right, I brought a prop. Baby. Now, obviously, this is not a real baby, right? Right, because a real baby would be doing what right now? Yeah, quite possibly crying. It wouldn't be holding up its head so well, either. Uh, and what do babies require of you as a, as a parent or as a caretaker of a child? What's that, $75,000? You're still hurting on that college thing, aren't you, Chris? That's right. It'll take a long time to get over that. What else do they take? Nurturing. Right, what do babies make? That's right. Dirty diapers. What else? Noise. They always choose good times to wake up, don't they? They make joy. That's right. That's one of the good benefits. I'm glad we can remember that. What's that? A future? Absolutely. There's great things that come from a child. But getting into being a parent, it requires something of you, right? The purpose of a baby. What is the purpose of a baby? Yeah, to like grow up, to mature, to learn to know and love the Lord, to, to learn what it means to be a part of the society in this world. Now, as a parent, uh, you'd think I would have figured this out, right? That my job as a parent is to do what? Love, nurture, and teach. Care for them. My job as a parent is not to just sit back and wait for the kids to make me happy, is it? No, but you'd be, you'd be surprised how often I wrestle with that. Right? Did you ever wrestle with that as a parent? Thinking, why is this kid driving me crazy? Why did they do this to me? Why are they waking up in the middle of the night? Don't they know I need to sleep? No one's ever wrestled with this except for me? No one sees this as a personal affront to you as a parent? Right? Don't the kids get it? They're supposed to make me happy. No. Unfortunately, oftentimes in my life, I find that I'm off track with my purpose what I'm supposed to be doing. And as a parent, I I am reminded of that quite often, that I'm off base, that I'm not really in line with the mission of being a dad. Jesus and his disciples are wrestling with this same kind of thing. No, they're not carrying around babies. That's a different... A child is in the story, but um, they're wrestling with the mission of Jesus Christ. Right? And so they're cruising through Galilee, and Jesus is teaching them. He's purposely avoiding other people so that he can teach his disciples. He has something important he wants to teach them. He's intentionally, intentionally pouring time into them so that he can teach them the central part of his mission. And he says what that is. The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. Is that clear? There's not a lot of ambiguity there, is there? He really lays it out exactly how the disciples could hear it and understand what his mission and purpose is. And as we see in our passage, the disciples immediately understand and agree that this is right and good and that their Lord is going to do that, and they walk along in peace and mutual understanding. Right? You all must be reading something different. No, not at all. They don't do that. 
In fact, they don't understand what he's saying. They don't get it. They don't understand his mission. They don't understand his purpose. They don't understand his intentions in this world. They are, in fact, disagreeing with one another. They're wrestling with other issues. And so when Jesus asks them what they've been talking about and what their response is to what he's been saying, they know it's important what he's been saying, but they're not really sure what he means, and so they're afraid to answer. Anyone ever been in this place before? Anyone ever been, like, married, and maybe your wife comes up to you and says, like, so what do you think about what's coming up? You know, or, or what's going to happen next week? And you're like, what's happening next week? <laughs> right in your head, you don't let that out. Because that's all interior monologue, right? And then so you try to ask a probing question to maybe get some details on it. Right, a hint or a clue, like, oh, yeah, next week, totally. Uh, what time is that happening again? Right, you might try that one. Right, you're immediately, I mean, you can, she can see the look on your face. She knows, right? But you know it's important, and so you don't want to let it on, let on that, you know, you don't know. That's what the disciples are. They're stuck there. They're like, shoot, I know I'm supposed to be doing something else, but I'm stuck here, and I don't want Jesus to know what I've been wrestling with. Jesus is talking to them about something that they're supposed to know, something they're supposed to be aware of, but they don't understand it at all. Let's examine what the disciples do know, though. It's revealed by the question of Jesus. What were you arguing about on the way, he says to them. Isn't that a great question? Do you think he knows what they were arguing about? Yeah, I have a feeling he does. That omnipotence thing kind of takes care of that. The reality is the disciples, while Jesus was talking about his death and resurrection, were fighting about who was the greatest disciple. While Jesus had been explaining his purpose in the world, they had been thinking about who gets the MVD award, right? The most valuable disciple. Like, who is going to be at the right hand of Jesus? Who's going to be his favorite? You know, and so John's like coming up and saying, well, you know, Jesus loves me best. Right, and Peter says, well, I always get to speak. And James says, no, Peter, you just always put your foot in your mouth. You know, and so they're all wrestling about this. Who's the most important one? Who's the most valuable one? Who's the critical disciple? And this just shows that the disciples don't understand Jesus' mission. They think his mission is supposed to be going from glory to glory, continuing to be the rock star rabbi until he rises to the throne and one of them is placed at his right hand to rule in authority. But this is not what is going to happen. And so Jesus has to have a sit-down talk with them all. So he tells them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. In God's economy... In order to reveal the leadership that he desires, you must lay down your crown and serve the least. That is his message to his disciples. In order to illustrate this, he takes a child and he says, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. Now, we've been shaped by this romantic era of thought. Um, and have a different view of children than what was held then, right? We have this view of childhood innocence and purity and sweetness and all this kind of stuff. Uh, in the first century A.D., um, children were precious. There is, make no mistake about that. Some things have not changed. But they were low on the hierarchical ladder, right? 
Because what did children offer to the world immediately? Nothing. Nothing. A child will eventually work. That's right. They'll eventually be valuable. But at the beginning, they just, they just take. There's nothing they offer. And so to equate welcoming a child with welcoming God was a radical thing for Jesus to say. Because he took one of the lowest of society and he said, this, welcoming this child is the same as welcoming me. Jesus here was expressing that the Christian life is about serving the least and the lost. And when we do this, we serve God. Jesus and his disciples did not see eye to eye on their mission. The disciples were motivated by the values of this world. And we know what those values are, don't we? We know what the world values. We know what the world finds important. We know what the world cares about. Cares about success, honor, um, wealth. Cares about fame and fortune and all those kind of things. Popularity, beauty. But Jesus... He was motivated by a mission to serve the lost and the lonely, the angry and the hurt, the crippled and the faithless. He was motivated by a mission to serve and to save you and me. And it was this mission of love that led him to take up his cross and walk up that hill and be nailed to that cross and have the sins of the world placed upon him. All the sin that had ever been done or would ever be done placed upon Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he took that upon himself, and he died for us. But the remarkable thing about his death is that it wasn't the end of the story. You see, because he was righteous, death could not hold him. And so he rose from the dead on the third day so that you and I could believe in him and have hope in him through the life that he offers us. And he invites us in this new life, in this resurrected life that we now live, to take on his mission. We're not saving the world. That's already been done by Jesus. We are, we are serving the world, one person at a time. This week, may we be challenged to ask God how we can serve someone, how we can serve a person who is in need or hurting, Maybe it's by going to the Pioneer Park Outreach and feeding a homeless person. Maybe it's by volunteering to serve in our Sunday school with our children. Or maybe it's by caring for a sick loved one or friend. Or maybe it's just somebody you happen to run into on the street today or tomorrow or this week. May God give us the strength to reach out. And may he give us the grace so that we can serve knowing that we have been served first by Jesus Christ our Lord and that we only serve out of the power that he gives us. May we faithfully, humbly, lovingly, and with generosity reach out and serve a world that Jesus Christ loved and died for. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you offer us the strength to love and serve those people who are not immediately lovable and servable, Lord God. We thank you that you take people like us who are not immediately love-worthy and serve-worthy, Lord, who do not immediately get drawn into those outreaches and ministries. Lord, thank you that you can take us and fill us with your heart for the world. 
We pray that you would do this now, that you would, in your grace, give us the ability to see the needs of this world and to reach out with your loving hands. Help us, Lord, by your grace, to faithfully reach out and serve those who are in need this day and forevermore. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.